Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. We are inspiring parents, mentors, and communities as they embark on the journey of transformational project-based education. Hi, this is Tatiana Fallon. Hi, this is Heidi Christensen. We're so excited to be your hosts. Well, hey, everyone. I am so excited today because I get to talk to a good friend of mine from way back when, when I first started in uh, leadership education. Carrie Fairchild is here with us today. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Now, Carrie, can you just, we always ask everybody, how did you start homeschooling and how did you find leadership education in Lemmy? Can you just share that with us real quick? Sure. Um, I started homeschooling my son. My oldest son was in the fifth grade and he was having some social problems at school. And I kept thinking, you can't solve a social problem by taking them out of school. That's silly. But that's exactly what I did. And I pulled him out of school and I joined a charter school in the area we lived in Southern California called Dehisa. And it was at Dehisa that I was introduced to leadership education and met you. And um, so, and we became friends then. And so that's how I began this homeschooling journey. I was only a few months in when I took my other two children out of school and we went at it full time after that. Yeah. Now, and how did we, we had a, a mutual friend that offered a class, right? Mm -hmm. um, that was, so we went to lines. a couple of, so we went to a couple of seminars and I think we were both on board, but yeah. it wasn't in our area. Leadership wasn't in our education, wasn't in our area yet. And then a mutual friend offered just a class out of our home. And so we took our boys to it and I drove pretty far to it. I drove about 45 minutes to get there. And yeah. it kind of blossomed from there. And a few other people moved to the area and started at a, we started kind of together and it kind of coalesced and pretty soon we had a group going and um, our kids loved it and we loved it and it took off from there. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and Angela Creel was our torchbearer and she's been on uh, the podcast before and um yeah no it was it was amazing and that's when we started genius and you actually came up with the name of our, our of our group genius um, I did I was into acronyms at the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it stood for um guiding educating nurturing inspiring unique scholars I still love that that was it's awesome Yes. Yeah. So um, what I, I know both of us were, we were on the, uh, we were on the board, we were on the group that uh, wrote the constitution for genius. Um, what was an experience? What was that experience like for you? I know what it was like for me, but. You know, I came to it late. Somebody dropped out. And so oh, I stepped right. into it late. So we, you guys were mostly on the way at that point. And so for me, it was kind of an observing process. I was watching how this all came together um, because a lot had been done at that point. And then somebody moved or something. And so um, it was interesting. One of the things I thought was interesting was we had the benefit of Angela, Angela Creel's um, experience and things that I didn't think were important, like 
making sure that um, the group was inclusive of all people and what their beliefs were and um, things like that, that I was like, what's that a big of a deal? Why is that a big deal? But later it proved that her her experience was invaluable in that, in including all people, regardless of how they believed. And um, some things about rules about how mentors interacted with kids and things like that, that again, it hadn't occurred with that to us that that was going to be an issue, but became issues and her foresight and her knowledge was invaluable. So having someone who has some experience, I think is really wise when you're able to, when you're starting these groups. I agree. Um, and we now have in Lemmy a new class project um, for adults that's called uh, school leadership training that kind of helps with that. So um, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like we were kind of making it up and hoping that and kind of following Angela's leadership at that point, um, we didn't have anybody to really train us. Right. Right. Now, I know Tati right now is how many years in are you, Tati, with your community? Uh, this is year two. So, yeah, we we're starting year two. We've only done one year. Yeah. But while you were talking, Carrie, the thought that came to my mind was um, sometimes you don't know that the the problem that's going to happen, right? So you need to have like discernment, right? Um, and but how do you have discernment for something <laughs> you have no idea is coming around the corner, right? <laughs> so <It's> true. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it, how does how do you think have, having you're gone through the leadership education and raised your children in leadership education. Has it helped you open your eyes to just maybe be a little bit more, have more discernment or be able to like think more into the future? I don't know if that makes sense. That question it's kind of out there, but. Um, I think some of it is just the experience of you working with youth, right? Like, uh, when you get that experience of working with them, all of a sudden you can, you can foresee these things of, you can foresee that they are going to do things that might be silly or in some cases dumb, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you have a little bit more um, experience that way. And you can foresee, I think the, the teaching process and being able to mentor with the youth, that's what gave me a little bit more discernment and a little bit more experience. I think, because because my kids were still fairly young when we started. Like my son was just barely thirteen when we started. I like so that I didn't know what a teenager like, did. <laughs> being able to mentor though has really helped you gain those skills because it wasn't really something that I've really put two and two together as the act of me mentoring a, a youth is actually building my ability to discern and to like be a future thinker but even just looking at my mentoring that happened last year I can think of several instances where just the individual mentoring that comes through either through working with paper or like conversations I have with the kids you know on the side or whatever has really expanded my ability to be like oh this is something that is kids are facing in today's world and wasn't aware of that and now I am and now I can help with that like I think that's an interesting thing about how we often think mentoring is like this 
one-way road <laughs> it's like so much more the opposite of like you can actually grow a ton from mentoring these 12 year olds yes they taught me they taught me a lot that's for sure and yeah. listening to them just by listening to them you learn what the what the things they're struggling with and the things that they're dealing with in the world but you have to actually listen and not downplay what they're saying yeah that that's hard <laughs> it's really hard I feel like that's another reason why I tell people like the writing process is more of like a, an opportunity for us to really listen like and you really want to push them to write not so that you can like perfect it and make it this like powerful persuasive paper but you really want them to learn to, to communicate with you through writing so you can really listen right because I don't know sometimes when you're, they're talking to you your brain's going a million miles an hour and you forget <laughs> you you like blank out half of what they said but when they're writing you can reread it and like really like own it and understand it so literally listen and hear them and it's a kind of a cool thing when you start building that trust and being able to hear from them in their writing that's true so yeah. what what are you doing now are you still involved in commonwealth or where where are you at right now so i my my son that I started with is now 29. So it's been a few years. Um, I graduated my last child out, but towards the end of her um, high school years, I, I went over and I had a friend and we started a Commonwealth school over in Southern California. It was the first one in our town. It was, it wasn't a Commonwealth. It was a charter school. Oh, right? I'm sorry. A charter school. Yes. Not a Commonwealth school. I did the charter school. I mean, the Commonwealth school with genius. Then I went over to a charter school. And um, it was called, it's called Highland Academy and it's still operational. And we took the find your genius motto um, over there and we started this charter school and it's been very successful actually. And we've had some, we had some great success with the kids using the find your genius model. Um, and so I did that for five years and now I have moved on. I am pursuing my own education. I got a master's degree in uh, child and adolescent psychology. And now I'm getting another one so that I can be a counselor. So I'm uh, doing clinical mental health counseling now because, you know, I wasn't, I, I didn't get a licensing the first time, <laughs> the first time we're out. Hey, that's my mom. She got two master's degrees. So I don't, know. my husband keeps saying, why don't you get a doctorate? Cause I don't, I don't, I don't want to defend a thesis. I just don't. Right. I'll stick with the master's degrees. Yeah. <laughs> So I think you really adopted the principle you and them, like you get your education. <laughs> it's true, but I did them first and now I'm now I'm on me. <laughs> it's a little bit easier than trying to do it at the same time. <laughs> oh, it's true. That's true. Yes. So how yeah. do you how, how do you seen the the principles of like leadership education in um as you've been studying, you know, child psychology and development, have you seen any connections between the two? I think, well, most recently I've been studying counseling theory. Um, and I think what I tend to gravitate towards is more positive counseling theory, things that assume that the, that the client, the patient is uh, an expert in their own lives and just needs some guidance. Um, theories that put the counselor as the expert and don't, and that they have to tell this person how to live their life, those are not attractive to me at all. And so I find myself gravitating more towards 
um, seeing positivity in people, um, supporting their strengths. And for me, finding the genius, right? To see their genius and then capitalizing on that so that they can um, overcome their issue or their problem or whatever it is. And so those are the things that I automatically gravitate towards that positivity, not the, well, you have a problem, you're sick and we need to diagnose you. I like that. Um, so have you heard of the book, The Seventh Sense? Um, I have not. It, when did it come out? Uh, probably in the 2017, 2018. Um, the guy, he basically writes this book about how um, the premise of the book is like, you know, in the 19th century, the the epidemic that we faced was like tuberculosis because everybody moved into the cities and we were like cramped and we were all giving each other tuberculosis, right? And then the 20th, 20th century, the, the 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 pandemic or crisis, health crisis we faced was cancer because of all the like carcinogenics that we put into our environment. Um, and then then his claim is that in the 21st century, where we're at right now, the epidemic is going to be um, mental health or insanity. He he claimed it as insanity. And um, his claim is that the reason why we have this problem is because we have hyperconnectivity, right? Is that is that right, Heidi? If I'm, I'm remembering right, it's like everything is connected, and every we're, we're so like the internet has has kind of gotten rid of all of the norms of like even like nation demographics, and we're like you can be part of a tribe of, you know, anime lovers, well, global people, world. yeah, yeah. So yeah. then you can create these little tribes, but they're not real like personal relationships. So from your take, what do you think is kind of contributing factors to like declining mental health among the youth and in the world that, or especially in America? So I have moved two states in the last two years. So I lived in Idaho. Um where I believe the reasons are different. I now live in, live in Southeast Texas and the reasons here are vastly different. So in Idaho, I believe the, the decline in mental health has to do a lot with trauma and um, terrible things that have happened in people's lives and then not dealing with it, not being, you know, you have, like you said, you have the internet. And so we immerse ourselves in our phones and then we don't deal with the problems that have come up because of trauma. Here in Southeast Texas, I believe the problem is poverty. And I'm almost in the deep South where I am. I'm 30 miles from the Louisiana border. And uh, the, the, the roots of slavery run deep here. And the generational trauma from that and the poverty, the way the society functions to keep people in poverty makes it so they don't get educated. They don't learn that they need help, mental health help. And, you know, therapists are quacks and you just need to pray harder and get on with your life. And so people aren't getting educated to get themselves out of the cycle of poverty. And so that weighs very heavily on, especially the kids here who see a different life in their phones. They see a different life in their social media, but they have no idea how to attain it. And it's education that they need but they don't know that. And even the education system, I've been working for the last year, school year in a public high school, the, the education system is ridiculous. It's very much suffering. And I saw kids graduate from high school who could barely read, but they did their time and they did their hours. So they got their diploma. 
and they will be working at Sonic for the rest of their lives because that's what they have and that's what they know. So between the trauma and I'm sorry, I worked at CPS, so I heard a lot of terrible things. Um, the tr between the trauma and the poverty here in Southeast Texas, I think it, it keeps people down. I don't know what else, I have what else to call it. It's it's very, for me, moving to Southeast Texas was absolutely a culture shock. I had no idea that people actually lived like this. Yeah, no, we, we moved here to Louisville and um, I didn't understand what happened to Louisville in the Civil War. When in, um, I just actually went mm -hmm. to a local lecture where they explained what happened here because obviously we're Kentucky, so we weren't, we were a neutral state, but um, eventually near the end of the war, they instituted martial law and then they used Louisville as like this hub for soldiers and it just became this drinking, brawling, gambling, like all this stuff, like this huge boom town with all these just like horrible vices, right? But then what ended up happening because at railroad lines is they would ship in all of the African-Americans from the deep south to work in factories up here. Um, and because we weren't technically, they weren't free technically in Kentucky because they were only free in the southern, like the rebellious states. It was this weird, weird messed up system. But what's ended up happening is there's a lot of African-Americans that got pushed into Louisville from, from the slavery and then just generational poverty that's created some very serious, very serious um, ghettos and uh, just really, and you don't see those other places in, in, the, in, in, the, in the country, really. I mean, until you like move there and you realize it's no. a reality. You don't know it's a reality. And, and yeah, my husband works for the public school systems and he comes home every day just being like, this is crazy what these kids have been through. And it's generational, right? You know, and it's it's difficult to yep. see that. That's so interesting and fascinating because every state has like a different demographic, probably maybe all connected to some extent with social media and the overuse of phones, but but different mm -hmm. groups. That's super fascinating. Wow. I so, will tell you, I read I read a really great article that's helped me a lot and maybe will help your husband. Um there's a woman named Ruby Payne who's written an article about a framework of poverty culture that helps her deal with her students and understanding that her students don't even speak the same language as her and they're expected to perform in this middle-class society, but they're speaking poverty language. And so they can't even reach the, they can't attain the goals of education because they they don't even know what you're asking of them. So it's a very good article that um, that might help him know how to reach his students if he's struggling with that because it was very eye-opening for me. They don't speak the same language. So wow. anyway, yeah. I could I could expand on it, but we won't. <laughs> so um, this is so fascinating having this discussion because Heidi and I were just talking earlier today about how we've had a lot of pushback from some people in Como saying we're not going to read Uncle Tom's Cabin because it's too it's not appropriate for kids to read because it's too violent or it's too um it's just it's just really a heavy hard book so 13 years shouldn't read that but it's so interesting because like you know maybe if you live in Washington or you live in California or live in Utah like these are events that occurred 150 160 years ago and don't necessarily like apply to you right but 
it's it's still affecting like our nation and our people right and so it's interesting having this conversation being like it's a classic for a reason it's a classic because it's really illustrating a lot of the wounds that we're still trying to heal from today right and and yes, i think absolutely if we continue to ignore them or continue to just pretend they didn't happen right I mean, we don't have to blame, like, assume the blame, like, you know, but we definitely need to know that they occurred and, and heal from them. So, so in your opinion, do you feel like we, uh, Kathy Malores, like, likes to say that leadership education heals multiple generations. So how would, like, using the classics or mentors actually heal trauma or, or make your, in, empower your student to push through trauma does that make sense or equip yeah. them to fight the plague of mental illness I think that well using classics you can use some examples right like I always think well Uncle Tom's Cabin is a good one but also like the story of Corey Ten Boom like horrible things happened there and she had such a, a good attitude about it and reading about Victor Frankl and things like that. I think those could be positive. I think the focus on the positive, focusing on the strengths, because there are strengths. These kids down here have survival skills like none I've ever seen because they've had to survive, right? That can be a positive thing in their lives, focusing on those positive attributes and encouraging them to get more education so they can see life in a different um, their their scope of life is very narrow. And so if they could see a wider scope, they could see more opportunities and maybe fight for it. Healing trauma, I think there there are therapy techniques that are called bibliotherapy. And I think classics lend themselves to bibli bibliotherapy. There's a lot of wonderful people who experienced horrible things that have gone on to do amazing things in life. And some of these kids have experienced a lot of horrible things. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think it, it, I remember when my, my husband never read growing up, like that just wasn't something that his parents did and it wasn't part of their home. His brother read a lot, but his brother was the one in the family that didn't get along with anyone else. So like reading was like not something they did. But when we started dating, he was like, oh, I really want to, like, this is cool. Your family has a really cool culture where you'll just sit around the table and talk about books you've read or ideas you've you've been exposed to or thoughts or stories. And he really loved it. So he's he decided he was going to start reading. And and he's like, what should I read? And I, my mom was like, how about you read Les Mis? <laughs> I was like, looking back. The I'm first like, book. <laughs> <laughs> like, mom. At the time, he had a landscaping job, so he was out, you know, working all day long, and so he could listen to like audiobooks, right? So she, she, she gave him the, the Audible download onto his, you know, old ancient iPod, and um, he read Les Mis, and it was so transformational for him to experience um that life because his life not that it was like exactly similar to you know Jean Valjean's but a lot of similar things had happened to Jean Valjean that had happened to to my husband growing up and his family and things that they had experienced and it just was totally transformational for him to open up his eyes to a powerful story 
that could heal him and then from then on like he was just reading like crazy like you know and he's probably probably more well-read than I am in some ways in certain areas now because it's just caught on fire so I think finding that story that can relate to them and, and helping them see the power that comes through story and the healing I think is super powerful right it's a it's a powerful healing. I agree I agree we're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comment section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using, because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. I mean, how has your education changed your kids? I mean, have you have you? What do your kids think about this? Because I, mean, I know your kids. <laughs> um, and it, well, I think they're a little surprised mom's working all the time. <laughs> that was, really? That's a little shocking to start with. Well, I didn't, yeah. I raised them, I stayed home with them, you know, and my life was yeah. them for so many years. But um, I don't know. So when, when I was raising my kids, I said, I'm going to do this leadership education thing. And maybe they won't become scholars because I was scared, right? Maybe they won't become scholars, but if they just love learning, I'm going to call it a win. And none of my kids have gone on to college or anything, but all of them love to learn and all of them research things like crazy. Like they want to know why and they get in there and they dig around until they find the original and they research like crazy. And so I call it a win even if they didn't go on to do all the, you know, college level kind of stuff, um, they're vocationally trained and, and they're willing to pursue their interests and to the nth degree. Sometimes I'm like, wow. Well, and I, I, so entrepreneurs too. So, I mean, that's, yes, at least, but they they were raised that way. We were, we were, um, we were self-employed the whole time that they were growing up. And so they definitely were raised as entrepreneurs and they've converted their spouses in some cases into entrepreneurial ventures. So, so yeah, I, I, th- I think it's the, I don't know about my personal education, but their, the leadership education definitely has changed the traje- trajectory that I thought our family would go. That's awesome. For That's the better, awesome. for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know it. The longer I'm doing this, I mean, I'm on my 22nd year of homeschooling, but the longer I do this, the more moms I meet who are coming to the end of their homeschooling journey and they're like, what next? And they don't know. I mean, and you really, you really, I saw you transition from, from homeschooling into the next phases of your life. And I mean, I've just seen you grow so much over the years. And I mean, if there was one thing that you could tell a mom in that situation, what what would you tell them? I felt like, like lots of people, including my own parents, gave me a lot of pressure for not going back to college after I got married. Um, I just had my associate my, my associate's degree and education was a big deal in my family. All of my siblings have master's degrees and in some cases more. And so I felt like I I was under a lot of pressure to go back to school, but I kept telling myself, you know, you're going to know when the right time is. And 
as that started to happen, as my um, homeschooling year started to come to close, come to a close, and I got involved with this charter school, and then I just knew what the next step was. And part of that is that that discernment that Patty's talking about, but also just being in touch with what my mission was and where I was headed with that to strengthen my to strengthen families was my mission, and um, I. The, and that path is not always clear, but it just kind of laid out in front of me. So sticking with your mission and being open to where that mission takes you. Uh, I would have never told you I was going to start school, you know, I, that was not on my radar at all. And especially a public school, that was not on my radar. And yet that's where it took me and the relationships and the good that has been done there. I, I could not have conceived of and I'm still very good friends with those people that we started the school with. And so um, be open to what's next, be open to, and be aware of the things that be being put in your path because they may take you in places you never imagined that are amazing and wonderful. I, re I remember you starting to work on the charter school and I was like, Carrie, it's a public school. What are you thinking? <laughs> and People were just asking you because they saw the good in the leadership education system and you were you were talking about it and they wanted more. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that was so much public virtue that you were just willing, because I know a lot of it, you just did volunteer, especially at the beginning. Yeah, well, the first four years I was president of the school board and um, well, it was one particular board meeting that I saw the good that this school was doing for other people and 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 the employees mostly I didn't see the kids as much as a school board president and I came out of the meeting and I turned to the director of the school and I said I need to work here what do you want me to do and he said get me a bachelor's degree I don't care what you have a bachelor's degree and just get me one and that's when I went back to college at that point and moved forward so that's kind of how my moving into the more collegiate collegiate education happened was he I wanted to work for him and he said this is what you got to do for me so I did it yeah I think it's and so I, inspiring to hear that story as a like a mother of young kids you know like because the narrative that I think is out there a lot is for women is like go to college get a career do really well in your career and then make time for kids because like it's almost like you can't but then the problem is like women do that, right? Then they end up 35, not married and very few years to have kids, right? <laughs> and so like a lot of um, a lot of people are ending up with unplanned childlessness, which isn't something that they wanted, but are what they're, they're faced with just because you can't actually, like women have a, a biological clock that is limited, right? You don't actually have that yes. many childbearing years. But it's inspiring to hear that story for me because I think part of me is just like when I'm in the middle of like, you know, <laughs> body training at the same time, teaching a kid to read at the same time, working, working with like advanced math facts, like it's, it can be overwhelming. And I just think, what am I doing with my life? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to keep these four people alive and, and maybe teach them something. But to see your story and be like, you can do you can do that and still have huge impact in your community in some way, you know, in your own way. I think it's a, a great 
thing to look forward to. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to always be punctuating and doing these things I'm doing right now. <laughs> That's true. Well, and I will tell you from this side of it, the my homeschooling years were some of the most fun and I learned so much and I grew so much. So don't underestimate the potty training and the advanced math facts <laughs> all at the same time. Uh, I don't know if I had not homeschooled my kids, I don't know if I would even be here. Like it, it set the trajectory and the leadership education set the trajectory for where I am today. I have no idea how that would have gone if I would have, you know, shipped my kids off to public school and then I don't know where I would have been, but this is the way it was supposed to go. And I'm so grateful that I followed those, the, the promptings to go that direction. That's yeah. Awesome. A, a lot of people in Lemmy training, they will think that they're coming to learn how to teach a class for their kids. And they'll leave realizing that Lemmy training is transformational for them. I know. I mean, I think we were in a training together one time where, you know, someone broke down in tears because it was just, they were, oh, it was you. It was you. <laughs> Kathy Malore put up on the board that no matter what you think you are enough. And I started crying. Oh, wow. I busted That's out sad. crying and I like had a hard time getting myself under control. Yeah. Yeah, that was, it was transformational for me is, yeah. I remember that. And I see you're getting me all misty just thinking about it. But she, that's what she said. She said, no matter what, it was at the very end when we, I think both of us were like, oh my gosh, are we going to be able to do this? We were quest training. And she wrote that on the board and I started crying. Yeah, That's right. That's right. Oh, But she was right. She was right. I, I was enough for what I needed to do for my mission. That I was enough. But it's hard to know that in the middle of it sometimes. Yeah. One of the things I love about, well, just about womanhood is that we really do have these natural seasons that we go through in life. And if we can not fight them, but instead kind of go with that flow, that natural time in our life and accept it and like Tati doing potty training right now, you know? And I totally get it. I thought for sure all four, all five of my boys were going to leave home with, in diapers. It was just, it took forever for them to be potty trained. Um, I can just tell you Lamaze, you know, the, that breathing technique, you know, I used it during potty training rather than, you know, during childbirth, just because it's like, I'm not going to kill them. Um <laughs> But, you know, you get past that and you get into their teen years and there's different challenges and you're just growing with them. But then afterwards, while they start leaving, it's like, if you can be open to it, this leadership education, that idea that, I mean, you're seeing that genius in, in your kids, you're seeing that they have a mission and you're trying to help them live it, but you have to do it for yourself too, and be open to that and, and being open to, um, be a genius yourself, uh, you know, be a leader yourself. It's, and sometimes it can be hard, but if you kind of go with that flow, like I saw you do Carrie, I mean, I just love, you were just such an example to me of just that natural flow of, you know, building on what, where you are and going to the next place and the next and next, and just blessing so many people through that. And, and, you know, really 
sharing your genius. I, I just think that's awesome. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, we have we have some time, a little bit of time left, and I want to go back to genius when we were first starting. And one of the things I know, just from all of the communities that we've that I talk to every day is that one of the challenges they're having is the junior program or the love of learner and core kids. Um, and I know at Genius, um, that was something that you really, you really did well. You had a couple of years in the, in, you know, working with the younger kids and you had it down. I remember my son, my fourth son was in that program with you. And it, I just was like, Oh, I want to do that. <laughs> we had fun. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I thought it was really cool how you, you had fun with the kids, but you incorporated some leadership education principles in there. Um, and I thought that was neat. Um, I mean, when I remember it was the um, magic Treehouse books, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I did was I, you know, I was watching my kids take these Lemmy classes or one kid, it was only one kid at the time. And I just watched the principals were there and I'd been to a couple of various trainings and face-to-face -face with greatness kind of seminars that they used to do. And I took the elements from what they were doing in like Key of Liberty. Um, I took, I picked the books and then we, we chose I would choose just the, the different things that they did in Cave Liberty, a little bit of writing if they would do it, a little bit of um, reading it out loud and talking about it. And then we would pull, it was the Magic Tree House, anything, we were reading about different countries, anything from that country that might be interesting. And we created just um, centers and we did fun things or centered around Italy. We made pizza and we did frescoes and um, we went, when we were doing China, it just so happened that they were having a terracotta warriors um, displayed at a museum. And so we packed all the kids up and went to see the terracotta warriors and um, just different things like that. I just, I don't feel like it was that amazing because I had a lot of helpers who helped and I, and they would say, well, can I do this? Well, yes. If you're excited about it for heaven's sakes, do it. Anything they were passionate about. Um then we would do it. And that's kind of how I focused. If it was science-based, if it was reading-based, if it was anything art-based, we did a lot of fun art things. Um, and that's how we did it. We always had time to color and write in the afternoon while we read the book out loud. And that's kind of how I brought it. I used the books to create the curriculum. And it was the same I did in American Girl Club. And it was the same with their um, we memorized quotes and poems and, and I had a huge range in that class from a little five-year-old, I think up to a 12-year-old. And so the five-year-olds could participate as much as they would and could. And then the 12-year-olds, I gave them a little bit more accountability and lots of, um, lots of rewarding systems that would encourage them. Like, uh, with the magic Treehouse books, we use the passports and so they would earn stickers in their passports to the different countries that they went to and things like that. Anything that mirrored that 
uh, at that point, Key of Liberty was the class I was kind of following because that's the class my son was in and um, kind of mirrored that. And so that when they got to Key of Liberty, they were going to recognize the elements of what was going on. Wouldn't be maybe our, I called our, our senders were similar to simulations, right? Like we were practicing whatever skill it was. And so they would have seen simulation. They would have seen memorizing. They would have seen reading. They were already interested in books because that brought the fun. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I did it as I just pulled the elements from the Lemmy trainings the, that I was seeing and used it to create that love of learning pro program and then invite the moms along because they learned along the way. And it was fun. It, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. One of the things I really remember is how the the moms were affected because it really, it was like a training ground for the moms you know, who thought, okay, I don't think I can do this big class, you know, this whole leadership education thing, I'm not sure about it, but it was, you know, you were modeling for the moms, you know, okay, this is part of, of what a leadership education is, we're going to inspire, not require, we're going to have these different learning um, environments, we're going to, you know, um, talk with the kids, and I mean, all of these different things, and, and, um, it kind of helped the parents develop alongside the kids and, you know, one or two years in the, with younger kids. And they were like, okay, I've got this. I am ready. I am. I want to take this training. And, yeah. and they, yeah. Yeah. We were, we were built. I was always sad because I didn't foresee in the, in, in it, I didn't realize what we were doing, but we were building those mentors for the, for the scholar projects through the level of learning program. Yeah. But I didn't realize yeah. that's what was happening. Cause then they'd move on. I'd be like, dang it. She was really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one of the things I loved, yeah. One of the things I loved about, you know, that magic tree house year was just something that just really stood out to me because it just so naturally led to like different topics every single, it was like every single month or so. And, you know, the, the parents were, you know, could easily do whatever they were passionate about, you know, no matter what the the book was and it could just incorporate that. So I just, I just love that. That was really cool. Well, okay. I was just going to say, it was definitely structured in a way that gave the freedom for the um, the parent or the helpers to inspire the kids in the way that in the things that they were passionate about lots we did lots of fun art projects and things like that with our artists and it was it was a lot of fun what were you say Tati I'm sorry <laughs> no I, I think it's it's inspiring to see the the principles just applied at a younger age group but still the same right like helping the parents get a love of learning right ignite that fire of like this is awesome to learn and I can share whatever I want to and whatever I'm passionate about whatever I think is really gonna you know and then like once the parents have some time getting a love of learning because some of them might not have had one for if ever mm -hmm. and then move on to scholar phase because they're ready to do that with these older kids I think it's, it's kind of cool just to see like on a different level the same principles applying but like you know, being universally the same. Like you can't go into scholar phase if you've never really had the opportunity to just love to learn and love to share what you're learning. And and so it's it's kind of a it's a great insight. Like yeah, let's start them in the younger program, and once they've had some opportunity to really love to learn, then let's let's push them to do things that are harder, like teach 
these projects. <laughs> well, it's true, but it's kind of a mentoring process, right? Like that's how I feel like it went with me is we didn't have a love of learners group and we were a little bit frustrated that we didn't have one. And so I was like, okay, well, let's see what we can do with this. And then I believe it was Angela who came along and gave me an edge and was like, Hey, you gotta try something a little bit harder. And so I did, and I didn't think I could do it. And I did, and I survived. And so, yeah, it's a mentoring process for the adults as well. Yeah. Yeah. Really the, the community, the, the Commonwealth is the adult project and we need to keep that in mind in how we structure it and how we, you know, the activities that we have the, the parents do. So I was talking to my mom yes, we are. about being a homeschool mom, you know, because that's what she did. And she said in a lot of ways, she felt like she sacrificed um, a lot of herself to become a full-time homeschooling mom of six kids. And it wasn't until she built the Commonwealth School that she felt like she could actually be herself again because of the community that was brought to help her um, be able to thrive and not just be like consumed by the identity of homeschooling, right? Like to, for her to be herself. And so I think that's the thing about what, if we allow, if we build the structure right, Commonwealth's become this breath of fresh air for not just the students and the scholars and the classes, the projects, but for the parents part of the Commonwealth School, it becomes a community that really is your lifeline and your your thing you look forward to every week and the thing that keeps you going and and the thing that inspires you to to keep homeschooling when it's exhausting. <laughs> that's for sure. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're almost done with our time. It's been so much fun, but we always ask everybody at the end, you know, if there was someone new to homeschooling, to leadership education, what would you be, what would your advice be for them? Definitely trust the process. And like Tati was saying, you need your own love of learning and you need your own to grow through the stages just like your kids do. And so if you're going if you're willing to do this and trust the process, then you've got to do it yourself. You have to commit to it and do it. And I feel like the end result, regardless of what it is, if you put in the time and the effort and the love and the care, the end result is going to be better than you imagined what it was going to be. Regardless of what it is. Because I didn't know my kids would turn out the way they are, but I'm super proud of all of them. So it was worth it. Are there things I would like to do different? Of course, but there would be things I want to do different if they'd be in public school too. So trust the process and do it yourself. That is awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.